The story goes that uh, all the local townsmen were gathered at the local soda shop. And this was back in the western days. This was a dry town. They didn't have a bar. It was a soda shop. And uh, they were sitting there drinking their sarsaparillas. And uh, someone comes barreling through the doors. And he says, look out, everybody. Big John's coming. Everyone hide. Everyone get out of the way. Big John's coming. And just about that time, they, they hear this rumbling off in the distance. And sure enough, here comes a man, and one of the biggest men that anyone had ever seen. And he's riding a buffalo bareback, just, just grabbing the scruff of the buffalo's hide there uh, to hold himself on. And he, he, uh, he comes up to the, to the soda shop there, and he parks his buffalo outside, and he just jumps off. And he, he walks in there. And uh, his footsteps are so heavy, it's just, it shakes the place. And he walks in, he walks up to the, to the soda shopkeeper, and he says, Sir, like a sarsaparilla. And he says, uh, oh, Sure, sir, sure, you here, here. And he gives him the sarsaparilla. And he drinks it down, and the, and the soda shopkeeper wants to keep him happy. He says, Would you like another one? And he says, Are you crazy? Big John's coming! So... Brother Grant. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, I have always said the secret to being happy in life is you must take God very seriously and don't be too serious about yourself. <laughs> so don't take yourself very seriously. And someone just this past week asked me, how do you do that? And I said, well, it's very simple. When you get too serious about yourself, go look in the mirror. <laughs> so, <clears throat> brother, I can run. <clears throat> All right, here we go. <clears throat> Praise God, brother, I can run. a great guy, isn't he? I'm sure. I'm sure glad I'm a, a great sport. You know, people pick on me all the time. <laughs> I'll tell you, they pick on me all the time. All right, Hebrews, the tenth chapter. <laughs> Verse 38, and then the 11th chapter, verse 1. And I want to speak on the subject, faith defined. Brother Newsom even gave me a hard time. He said, Brother Grant, you got one of those long book titles? I, I didn't know what he's talking about. He said, we couldn't get it on the tape last week. I've always told ministers, give your, give your sermons a very short uh, title. Because, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it, it's like the dog that has tails too long, you know. Title is like the tail. You know, the tail's so big that the tail wags the dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, well. <clears throat> Faith defined. Very simple, isn't it? All right. Verse 38 of Hebrews 10. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And then chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And God bless you. You may be seated. Boy, we sure had a great, powerful service Thursday night and Friday night here. 
Calvary Gospel Church. Brother Crowder and then Brother uh, Jason Sisko. The amazing thing about Brother Sisko is, uh, I think he's only 20, 24, 25. He uh, preached, he was preaching here at Calvary Gospel Church on his 21st birthday. He was preaching Youth Week, you remember that. And, of course, he's been preaching as long as I have. <laughs> Not really. But uh, when he was a little tiny kid, he, he wanted to preach. And he would preach. Of course, at that time, nobody would listen to him. But <laughs> And he would pray, and he'd get serious about serving God. Serious about serving God. Now, I'm talking today about faith defined. I'm hoping that I will be able to perhaps clear up a few things in your mind concerning faith. Uh, I think it would be good for us to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, to start with. And we want to talk about faith as far as faith being a spiritual gift is concerned. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9 to another faith by the same Spirit. Of course, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. In other words, Paul is defining spiritual gifts. So he talks about the gift of faith. Now, I, I believe, separate and apart from saving faith, that God does incorporate in the body a particular gift or a special endowment. This comes from the Holy Spirit, and in this case it's called faith. That's what we're talking about today. Now in Galatians 3, you will find, uh, pardon me, in Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, you will find the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. So you find faith mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you will look at the original language, and then, of course, uh, to you who have study Bibles, especially if you have a study Bible that is not a King James Version, you will find that most versions explain 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, as faith, which is an active belief or trust in God. Now, we all have to have faith in God in order to be saved. So you have to, you have, to have an active belief in God or an active trust in God. Not, not, not something that's passive, but that I mean just a figment of the imagination. You ask a person if he believes in God. We're not talking about believing in the existence of God. Now, it is true that you have to believe in the existence of God to have active belief or trust in God. But just because you believe in the existence of God does not save you. The people who crucified the Lord, obviously, at noonday, when the sun refused to show its face, and great earthquakes came, and the sky was darkened, they said, truly, this is the Son of God. They had 
uh, a passive belief. In other words, they, they just had a mental acceptance that this was God. But that alone does not save you. Now, you must have that in order to be saved. Because that's the very first step. Uh, after you have manifested an active belief or trust in God, then we find the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of God, becomes alive in your life or active in your life. So faith in first in Galatians 5.22 could be defined as faithful. Faithful. And faithful simply means that you're living out your faith. That is the active belief or trust in God that you put it to practice every day. In other words, putting your faith to work. It simply means that you are thorough in your performance of duty to the God that you trust and believe in. And, and this, is, this is extremely important because when you look at Hebrews 11, when faith is defined, uh, you will find that, that, that there will be a mixing of ideas, a mixing of faith in God or trust in God or belief in God with being faithful in your performance of duty to God. Now, living by faith, this is the fundamental principle that is found in the Scripture. In fact, it's found four times in the Scripture as, as we see it in Hebrews 10.38. We'll not take the time to turn there, but in the Old Testament, the, the prophet Habakkuk, in the second chapter, verse 4, talks about the just shall live by faith. Romans 1.17 talks about the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11, the just shall live by faith. And then, of course, we find that in Hebrews 10.38. It was this particular concept or idea about man's relationship with God that caused Martin Luther to, to nail his 99 theses on the door of the Catholic Church in Gutenberg, Germany, when when he decided that when he decided that he would he would not uh, adhere to the particular principles of, of this church. Because he thought he found something much deeper in God, much deeper in God than than, than just a, a performance or duty. Now, we do know that it is possible for us to to have performance or duty to God, and yet not have an an, an active trust or belief in God. That people can live out a role that is just not uh, in their heart. This is where hypocrisy comes in. And the leaven of the Pharisees, Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So uh, you, you can find that, that uh, hypocrisy is something that God frowns upon. It's playing a role that, that you really aren't. Uh, I just read a statement concerning a person who is double-minded. James said a man who is double-minded... Uh, is unstable in all of his ways. And uh, the, the statement that I read, it's about a person playing out two roles. said, the problem with being two-faced is you forget which face is really yours. <clears throat> that after a while, you don't know who you are or what you are. So we are held together basically by faith. Now, Martin Luther obviously 
came upon something extremely dynamic in his revelation. However, like many, many people who consider that they need to make a change, they will swing too far away from Scripture the other direction. And balance is the key in life to warding off hypocrisy. Uh, Jesus talked about this in, in, in Matthew uh, 23. Jesus talked about uh, this, and, and this is something we need to understand. He said, these things you ought to have done not to leave the other undone. So he talks about balance. He said, you strain it in gnats and you swallow a, a camel. So the, the problem is that they, they, they got so uh, legalistic in their approach to God uh, that, that they, they just totally, totally forgot about the God of, of the law. And I, I've defined it like this. The, the, the liberalist uh, is a person, I'm talking about scripturally or, or religiously speaking, when you look at a, li- uh, a liberal, a liberal is a person defined in the scripture as a person who says he loves God and yet he cares little or nothing about the law of God. On the other hand, you will find the legalist is a person who loves the law of God more than the God of the law. So you have the two extremes. Then the Bible talks about the revivalist. That is a person who is fundamental in his faith, who reads the Scripture. He wants to obey all of it. He has a balance between his love for God and the law of God because he understands that they are inseparable. So Martin Luther seemed to take that swing to the opposite uh, corner. And, and, of course, because of this, uh, some of the old German Bibles did not contain the book of James. They claimed it was, that it was uninspired because it contained gross contradictions of the law of God. Well, I think if you're going to rip out the book of James, you're going to have to rip out uh, Hebrews 11 also. And, and, and Hebrews 11 comes about as a result of the introduction of the subject that's found in Hebrews 10.38. That is, the just living by faith. So, when we talk about living by faith, we're not talking about just, uh, just uh, understanding that, that there is a God or having some kind of a mental concept. But we're talking about being thorough in our performance of duty to the God that we believe in. But some of the old German Bibles, most of them, did not contain the book of James. Because they said it's uninspired. Because James says, show me your faith without your works. I show you my faith by my works. The truth of the matter is, it's impossible to show your faith if you do not have works. It's impossible. And that's the reason why he said faith without works is dead. The word dead actually means separation. That's what the word death means. So, as the body is without the soul, so is faith without works. That is, when we have dead faith. Dead faith. Now, today we'll be talking about faith uh, that causes us to be faithful. Now, this passage teaches us that, that with a sincere believing heart, the just shall obtain eternal life by faithfully drawing near to God. That's what the Scripture is telling us in, in, in Hebrews 10.38. But if a person draws back, or that is that he draws from his walk 
from God that he will incur eternal damnation. Now, if you can figure out anything from that Scripture outside of this simple uh, definition I'm giving you, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Because it's just not found in the Scripture. So, our faith in God, that is a sincere believing heart, will obtain eternal life by trusting in God. But if we draw back from this, then we will incur eternal damnation. Now, faith is uh, defined in Hebrews 11.1. 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, if anybody asks you what faith is, you can quote this Scripture. Now, if they ask you to define this Scripture, that might be a little more difficult. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a very classic definition. It has been given by Christians through the years. Now, what I want to talk about, I want to talk about now faith is. We want to define faith according to he- Hebrews 11. So we're going to walk through Hebrews 11. And we're going to define faith as recorded here. So chapter 11 defines the nature of the only kind of faith that is acceptable before God. I'm talking about the only kind of faith. You may say, you mean you can have faith in God that's not acceptable? Well, I I think if if you look in the Scripture, uh, verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is. In other words, that's the starting point. You must believe in His existence. But if you stop there, and it goes no further than that, uh, then then you will run into some problems. You will incur problems. And the reason why is because there will definitely be a drawing back of the individual away from God if he stops there. Because our walk with God is progressive. In other words, I'm standing behind this pulpit. And I am going no place, I'm talking about as far as, as physical movement is concerned. So when, you, when you're not walking, guess what happens? You don't get any place, do you? You don't. Uh, you know, I've had people to uh, come to my home and they say, well, I guess we have to go. But to me, go means action. But nothing takes place. And they say, well, I guess we better go. And they still don't go. I had to... A uh, new brother in the Lord, he came to my house one time, and, and I've, I set up with him until about 3.30 in the morning. Finally, I, I, I dozed a little bit, and he was just sitting there in a rocking recliner. said, well, I, I guess, Brother Grant, I need to go. I want to just jump up and shout, well, go, man, go. Get out of here, you know. You're going to kill your day and my day tomorrow. Now, it would be different, you know, if we were having a productive conversation, but unfortunately we were not. We were both very, very bored with this. <laughs> but he just didn't he didn't know how to say goodbye. Have you ever talked on the phone to someone that, that didn't know how to say goodbye? Now, occasionally, I talk with people that do not know how to say goodbye. I'm not talking about people who are talking. The longest telephone conversation I ever had in my life is with Don Moran. Now, if you want a long telephone conversation, Don Moran, I about... What, six months ago or a year ago, we got on the phone for two hours and something. I'd never been on the phone that long with anybody. Even when I was courting my wife, we weren't on the phone that long. <laughs> but, uh, you know, can you imagine, what, what could Don Moran and John Grant think 
to talk about for two hours and, what was it, Don, 20 minutes or something like that. Two hours and 20 minutes. Now, what could we possibly think to talk about? Well, I will assure you, we were talking. I mean, we were really talking, just ratcheting as fast as we could go. Uh, now, if our conversation had have ended maybe an hour before, there would have been a, a whole hour there that would have been very, very, very enduring and boring. And occasionally you get on the phone with a person and they kind of taper off. And you get the idea they don't know how to say goodbye. So the conversation just pretty much ceases. Now, this is the way it is in our relationship with God. We go so far, but if there is not progress or movement, we're getting no place with God. And the Bible, there is not even the the slightest hint in the Scripture that tells us that we can just believe that God is and stop there and, and go to heaven. It's just not there. We will be awarded, the Bible says, according to the deeds that have been done in the flesh. Action. Action. So, the kind of faith that we're talking about is the kind of faith that will triumph in the worst of situations. And this is something that you you need to understand because we are living in a sin-cursed world. And there are all kinds of, of things there that can attack us. Now, verse 1, let's talk about now faith is. Verse 1, faith that leads to spiritual realities. That's what faith is, according to verse 1. It leads to spiritual realities. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It simply means that you reach out for something that is not there, And you place your confidence and trust in God to the point in which it becomes real. In other words, it's materialized. It's before your very eyes. Now, I just I just received a letter from Brother Billy Cole. I was to to go to Ethiopia with him, and this would have been the year to have gone. I'll tell you, they had so many people. They enlarged the the courtyard where they. They had had the services. Last year they had 78,000 people to receive the Holy Ghost in one year. Not one year, pardon me. One service. One night. One afternoon and night. This year they increased the size of the courtyard by 300 meters both directions so they could get a lot more people in there. And would you believe that they recorded over 100,000 people to receive the Holy Ghost for the very first time? Isn't that great? Now, also, they had 15 people who were totally blind that were restored to their sight. Now, basically, what, what takes place is that you go to God, and let's say you've gone to the doctor, and the doctor says, this and this and this and this is wrong with you. And so, he gives you evidence, and he says, now this has to take place. But you know a God that created your body. You know a God that made the heavens and the earth and man and all that is in the earth. And so as a result, you simply go to the Word and you say, Now, there is evidence that states this, 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 this. However, 
We believe, as Brother Siskel preached Friday night, that all the promises of God are yea, and they are amen. And as Brother Sisko said, you know, God says His promises are yes. And all He wants us to do is say amen to those yes promises. So what we do, we begin to stack up evidence contrary to that which is physical. And when we do that, inside of us, something is activated, something begins to move, something begins to churn. In other words, we believe the witness of God, as the Scripture says, greater than the witness of man. See, man, for the most part, is extremely pessimistic. Isn't that true? Uh, for example of that, have you ever heard a tow truck called a wrecker? Now, why do they call it a wrecker? A wrecker is something that wrecks something. But it's a tow truck. It's to get you out of trouble once the accident occurs, or at least to help you, to assist you. But we call them wreckers. So every time we see one, we think, oh, there goes a wrecker. And, and, and we don't think of somebody being helped, but we think of something that's tragic, something that's bad that's happened. But, but isn't that the way we are, you know? And so there is a mindset, for the most part, uh, that people have that, well, uh, you know, you can, you can get a, the, the most delicious sandwich you've ever eaten. Let's say if you drive into Hardee's and, and, and you get the most delicious sandwich you've ever eaten. Somebody asks you, how is this? The, the normal tendency is, well, not too bad. Rather than say, boy, this is delicious. Not too bad. They don't have bad food here. Well, you're there because you recognize the quality. But it's the mindset that we have. Uh, we, we've got a little thing around our house. That we, we, we check each other on this when we say, if it could happen to anybody, it happened to me. We said, oh, we don't say that. But what happens, see, you, you build physical evidence according to the witness of man that destroys your walk with God. And this is the reason why we have to stay in the Scripture. When all this evidence stacks up against you, you then say, but the Word of God says. The Word of God says. The Word of God says. And you hang on to those promises until those promises become real. So faith, faith leads to spiritual realities. We hold on to it until it happens. Now, faith also leads to righteousness. According to verse 4, let's read verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Now, righteous in this sense simply means right doing. In other words, he had a more excellent sacrifice because he did what was correct. So faith is defined in this scripture as doing what is correct. Now, let me just pause for a moment from, uh, from uh, a forward progress in this chapter and say this, that quite often you will find people that get healed, and they, they have never walked with God, and they never walk with God afterwards. And I've had people say, how do they get healed? Because they manifest at that time an active faith or trust in God. But... God rewards us not upon what we were, nor what we promised that we will do, but what we are at that present time. 
But the real blessings from God come as a result of having active faith in God and practicing that faith, becoming thorough in our duty of performance to God every day. The just shall live by faith every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. So, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Why? Because his sacrifice was acceptable. And God even, God even went to Cain and said, look, you know, if your offering is not accepted, then sin lieth at the door. God tried to get this man to change his, his, his ideas and, and, and his mode of worship, but he wouldn't do it, would he? What did he do? He went and murdered his brother. He killed his brother. In other words, he was angry at God, jealous of his brother, and killed his brother as a result. So faith leads to righteousness. Now in verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and, see the conjunction here, and, it's got to go further than that, that he is a rewarder of them that seek him. So faith is defined here as the ability to seek God. Now, we just had a a prayer meeting last month in which I I set a table up here, and we just simply sought the Lord. And see, we must believe that God rewards people that seek Him. People that want to be close to Him. People that seek Him. All right? And then the fourth thing that we want to call your attention to is that faith believes... In the existence, in his existence or goodness. Now, I, I've spoken this already, uh, but I'm just going through the chapter, so we must believe that he is. In other words, we believe in the existence, or in this case, if you look at the original language, it's actually talking, you must believe in the goodness of God. Now, some people could define God as being the tyrant of heaven that's ready to kill everybody. Now, that's not the kind of existence that God wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that He is a good God that likes to do good things for people. People get hung up on this, though. I've heard a lot of people say, well, it doesn't look like God's going to ever do anything good for me. Now, don't be accusing God of this. See, that's what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness, according to, to 1 Corinthians 10. The Bible tells us that they murmured in the wilderness. In other words, they, they, they complained against God as if God could not or would not, for some reason, help them. Now, verse 7 and verse 11, let's read this. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And then verse 11, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of the child when he was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Faith leads us to obey His commandments. Faith believes in obedience to the commandments of God. In other words, whatever God says, that's it's as good as done. That's just the way it is. And I have known of people who felt that God had really promised them something. 
uh, you know, and, and, and God didn't come through. Sometimes we become very impatient. You ever heard of that? Have you ever asked for patience? Ever prayed for patience? No. I've heard people say, I won't pray for patience anymore because I prayed for it and, and God gave me a real long lesson. But I, whether, whether you pray for it and get a long lesson or you just get the long lesson, you know, it, it pretty much just ends up the same. I, I think you, you wouldn't have to go past one of these Sunday school classes to find out what impatience is all about. Some of these children, you know, they, you say, I tell you what I'm going to do, and you give them a promise, and you know what they'll do? They'll just pastor you to death about it. So well, I'm going to do that. But they just keep bothering you and bothering you. But if God said something, see? Now, the, you see, the Bible talks about us frustrating the grace of God. And that simply means somewhere between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, we frustrate the grace of God. That simply means we jump in, we don't see that God is moving. Do you know that sometimes God has to work out a lot of circumstances, not for His benefit, but for your benefit, before certain things can take place? Because, you know, I've always been a, I've always been a supporter of this idea. God never healed anyone just to get them out of pain. Now, he may heal them to get them out of pain, but not only for that reason. See? And this is the reason why you will find that the, the manifold reason. Paul even talks about the manifold grace of God. The word manifold in the Greek is taken from the word that, that, that we take our English word polka dot from. It means many colors, actually. And so when, when God is working inside of us, you see, grace is defined as the divine leading of the heart. God talking inside of us. What is our faith? It's our response to that leading. It's saying yes to that leading. And that leading will take us down many different avenues of life. Maybe one day you're in tears. The next day you're in laughter. The next day you're in pain. The next day you're in comfort. One day you can be wealthy and rich. <laughs> Perhaps. No. Next day you can be broke and poor. Listen, I have come to this conclusion that God can make me healthy and well by tomorrow or He could put me in the hospital. He could make me rich if He wanted to or He could make me poor. That I belong to the Lord. <clears throat> now faith also causes the individual to regulate his life on the promises of God. Let's read verse 13. All These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. In other words, they saw them by faith. And they were persuaded them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In other words, what they knew that was right, what did they do? They regulated their life on those principles. And then verse 39, a very similar uh, scripture. All these, uh, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. In other words, they were looking for something that was promised for another age. They actually lived out their whole life 
and never receive what you and I receive, that is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Did you know we're blessed in this dispensation to have the Holy Ghost? The Bible says, even the angels of heaven desire to look into this. And sometimes with such awe, you know, we, I, I hear people say, I saw an angel, you know, and, 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 and it's, oh man, if I could just feel like an angel. And yet all the while, your guardian and angel is saying, guess who I saw today? I saw Pastor Grant speaking in tongues. He's filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now this is Bible. So the person who lives by faith, he regulates his life on the promises of God. Alright, verse 13. He rejects the spirit of this present evil age. And I put the word evil in there because I definitely believe it just this way. These all died in faith, having received not the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded them and embraced them and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In other words, they would not blend with society to be accepted by society. So they rejected the spirit of their present evil age in order to walk with God. The older I get and the more I look in the Bible, the more I am persuaded that separation from this world is the name of the game in Christianity. And like I said, when I taught on separation, it doesn't make any difference what you believe separation is, that it will be a stretch of your imagination not to believe in it because it's in the Bible. It's in every book in the Bible. And every time you see a basic philosophy that's laid down in the Scripture, you'll find that it's there. It's always there. So faith rejects the spirit of this present evil age. It causes us to feel like we are pilgrims and strangers in this world. Never now and then. I, you know, some of our young people will do something that's different. You ask them why they do it. I just want to be different. I said, look, if you really want to be a different, be a true blue, red hot apostolic Christian. If you want to be different, be a Christian. Praise God. Now, verse 14 and 16, faith causes us to seek a heavenly home. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And then verse 16, but now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. You know, there's one thing for me to say, He's my God. There's another thing for God to say. I am not ashamed to be called His God. Well, when I was growing up, I had a few relatives that, that went to high school with me. I had one, one boy who went to high school with me, and I did not want anyone to know that I was related to him. And he went and told everybody. And they'd come and ask me. I'm sorry to say that, that I occasionally lied about it. Especially some of the girls. And I just didn't want to be, I was ashamed to be, be related to it. You, you know, and, and you, you wonder, you know, how a person would feel. How, how would a person feel if they found that out? 
I know how I would feel if, if, if any of you felt that in the presence of maybe some friends or such, they said, you go to Calvary Gospel Church as Pastor Grant, your pastor, and you'd be ashamed to tell them. For whatever reason, you'd be ashamed. I know how I'd feel. I know how I'd feel if, if my wife were to be ashamed to be called my wife. And some people, see, are ashamed of God. If you be ashamed of me, what did he say, Brother Eckenrod? He said, when I come with my holy angels, I'm going to be ashamed of you. But here we find this perfect relationship, people calling him God, and God saying, I am not ashamed to be called their God. In other words, they're living a life that's so complementary to the cause of Christ that God Himself said, those are my children. They're the apple of my eye. I'm proud of them, so to speak, quote, unquote. They're my children. I'm not ashamed to be called their God. Praise God. Now, they seek for a heavenly home. We're going to that home. Now, I have to admit there are days that I, I live and I never think about going to heaven. Well, I don't think about going any place. You know, I just kind of get busy. You just get so busy. You just get busy living for God and praying to God and everything that you don't really think about dying and going to heaven or the rapture taking place. I believe the rapture is going to take place real soon. Do you know that the rapture could take place any moment now? And logically, if you look in the Scripture, it definitely could take place before the turn of the century. Look at the prophecy of Hosea. After two days, I will revive them, and the third day I shall live in their, their sight. Talking about the Jewish nation... And we know the third day that he talks about is a thousand years, and the Bible is called the millennium. So it would only be correct in our assumption, I think, to say then that if the millennium one day is a thousand years, and, and Peter talked about this, one day is a thousand years to God. Then 2,000 years logically would be the church age. And most all Bible scholars believe that Jesus was born before 0 A.D., about 3 or 4 B.C. Now, if he was born in 4 B.C., and this is 1996, he could be here any moment. And the true children of God, whether we live or whether we die, we're Christ. For us to live... Is Christ Jesus for us to die is gain. Have you ever wanted to just go and be in the presence of God? Well, true faith causes you to seek for a heavenly home. Now, verse 17, 18, and 19. All right. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall all thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, 
even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now, this, this is amazing. God told Abraham that his son Isaac, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then before he was ever married, before he ever had a child, he said, take him and offer him up as a sacrifice. Abraham so believed God. Abraham was the man that taught us that persevering in a time of testing is what faith is all about. You don't give up. In other words, he, he so believed God, he said, if God, if God burns my child on the altar, he has given this promise, he will have to take those ashes and put that body back together so that this promise will be fulfilled. He never lost faith. He never lost hope during a time of testing. He persevered. I wonder about some wimpy Christians that, that you know, just almost the drop of your hat, they're ready to give up. Somebody hurts their feelings. I'm going to give up. I wonder about people like that. What's wrong with a person's relationship that can't reach out and love God enough to lay hold on God and get a hold of God? So faith perseveres in testing. Now, verse 21, look at this. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph... And worshiped, leaning upon his staff. Staff, pardon me. What does this teach us? That the person who lives by faith will pass his faith on to the youth. Will pass it on. Now see, when we're talking about defining faith, when you look at Hebrews 11, there's a lot more to it than just saying, Oh, I believe in God! I'm a Christian, I believe in God! Faith passes on to other, another generation. And then verse 25, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Faith refuses the pleasures of sin. Now, I would admit, and you would have to admit, that there are certain things that people do that are not Christians that, that would be uh, enticing. It would be pleasurable. Isn't that right? Sure. But it only lasts for how long? Just for a season. You know, the big thing now is addiction to nicotine, lawsuits. Now, personally, I can't understand anybody's mindset that would sit on a jury and, and give someone millions of dollars that caught cancer as a result of smoking cigarettes. You see the billboards and down on the bottom that said the Surgeon General has determined that cigarette smoking is harmful to health. Man. They've been called cancer sticks for years. Have you ever heard of that? And somebody sitting in the courtroom said, Well, I didn't know I was going to get cancer. You ever heard of that? And then they, then they go after the, the cigarette companies. You may say, well, Should they not go out? Well, I wish they'd all close down, yes. But I'm saying, that's just, that shows you just how fickle 
this whole world of sin and such is. You drink too many beers, you get drunk, and you say, Well, I didn't know that drinking you know, caused people to get drunk. That's something. So the big debate is now, how are we going to stop drunk driving? Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. You're not going to stop it by supplying everybody with as much liquor as they want. And then put a cop on every corner trying to stop them. What are you going to have to do? You've got to go to the bars where they get it. You may say, oh, Brother Grant, well, yeah, that's the whole problem. There's too much money involved in politics and such. Now, come on, you know I'm right. You act like you never heard of anything like this before. <clears throat> but nobody has the gumption to say, hey, we got to go where the source is. Oh, well, forget I said it. <laughs> no, don't forget it. Verse 27, we've talked about this a little bit, but... I'm just walking through the chapter, verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Faith endures persecution. So, well, I don't care if he's going to if he's going to kill me. I guess he kills me. You know, I I just. I guess I've just never fully understood people who just come apart at the seams, especially Christians who come apart at the seams, when they're threatened. When I gave my heart to God because I wanted to go to heaven. And it seems like everybody wants to go there, but nobody wants to die to go there. You know, if I die before the rapture takes place, guess what? I've got just a, a split-second advantage over you if you're here because I'm going to rise before you do. Do you know that? Sure. No, I'm not putting up a sign saying, somebody shoot me. <clears throat> Verse 33 through 35. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to have to finish this. Let me just read this to you. Faith performs the mighty acts of righteousness. Verse 25, verse 35, 36, 37, and 8. Faith gives us the ability to suffer for God. You know, it's not a bed of roses all the way. If anybody told you that when you gave your heart to God, you'd never have a problem, either they didn't know what they were talking about or you didn't hear it right, because it's not going to be that way. If anybody in this life tells you whether you live for God or you don't live for God, that life's going to be a bed of roses, either they didn't represent it correctly or you heard it wrong. It's not going to be that way. Man is born a woman, a few days and full of sorrow. 
You may say, well, what is the advantage of living for God? Because when trouble sets in, you can go to God. Have you ever seen someone who was going through the trial of the century and they had nobody to turn to, nobody to call on, and knowing that if they lose their life in this, there is no hope for them beyond the grave? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And then verse 15 and 16. I guess we're backing up a little bit. I just want to talk about this just a little bit more. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Now, I read that already, but listen to this. Faith will not allow you to return to the world. That is a country you came out of. Now, notice what it says. If they had been mindful of that country. Now, how do you become mindful? I'm going to give you a real revelation here. See, See, when Paul says that we become an enemy of the cross when we mind earthly things, you know what he's talking about? It's very simple. Here's the revelation. It means you keep your mind on earthly things. And when it says become, they become mindful of that country, it simply means they sat around and thought about it all the time. Boy, I remember. I, you know what? I've heard people say, I remember when I was in the world. Man, you're talking about having a good time. And they go through all that, and they never mention the hangovers. Then they can stub their toe a little bit, walking for God, and all they can think about is the hangover, so to speak. They think of the suffering, the sorrow. And you know what's wrong when people do that? You just have your mind on the wrong things. Well, would you believe it's 1130? And by now you should be standing, so I'll have you to stand. Well, let me just quickly, as you're standing, go through some of these faith killers. Faith killers. All right. Romans 8.1, the Bible says there is now... Therefore, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, here's one thing that you have to... Condemnation is a great killer of faith. Boy, the bacon's already on. We're going to have to... (laughs) Listen up to me. I'm sorry. I distracted myself. Condemnation is a giant killer of faith. Now, if there's guilt in your life, condemnation is caused by guilt. But sometimes guilt is caused by a transgression or your ability, your inability to forget your transgression. See, sometimes people just won't forgive themselves. You know that? And it will just kill your faith. I mean, if you've asked God to forgive you, accept it. But if you're really living under the cloud of guilt as a result of a transgression, ask God to forgive you and determine not to go back and do that again. Now, just like any sickness, there are symptoms. Here are some of the symptoms of faith killers. Okay? One. 
A loss of hope, you know, hope is a basic ingredient in our faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Here's how you can tell when you've lost hope. You gripe about everything. You know, griping denotes, griping denotes, I wish I hadn't said that. Griping denotes just uh, uh, an attitude of despair. Complaining about things all the time. Or basic negativeness. Now, I'm going to tell you, you listen to me, I'm going to have to be honest. There's some of you that I, every time I talk with you, you're you're negative about things. Now, you want to talk to the pastor about negative things occasionally. You understand what I'm saying, but that's your basic nature. It's just you cannot believe that anything good is going to ever come out of your life. Well, wouldn't you say say that's that's a, a symptom of a loss of hope? Wouldn't you think so? Sure. And I've worked with uh, people, you know, and, and, and every now and then something just doesn't go picture perfect right. And this, oh, no. You ever heard an adult say that? That's what our children say. When we teach them, don't, don't be saying that. I, I tell them, I said, look, hon, this is not the Garden of Eden. <laughs> And, and please understand, it's called work for a reason. you got to work at it, you know. Have you ever got so frustrated at something, you know, let's say you're trying to make a time limit or something, you get so frustrated that, that you just lose your composure? I remember one time I had to, I was trying to make a deadline on something, and I had to make two or three telephone calls, and so help me, my mind got so clogged up and so confused. I couldn't even say the ABCs. I looked in the telephone book and I, I said, oh, God, come on, Lord. Come on, John. Help me. Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> it is a known fact that when people retire, over 80% of all the people retire die shortly afterwards. Why? Because most people who retire, there's something inside of them that says, I quit. I give up. When we were at the hospital praying for Madeline, and she was right at death's door, the doctor says, she appears to have a lot of fight in her. When you are with her, encourage her. Make sure she continues to have the will to live. Doesn't the Bible even say the spirit of a man will sustain him in his infirmities? That's what it says in the book of Proverbs. You can make yourself sick just sitting around thinking about how bad you feel. And then all of a sudden you say, am I really sick? (laughs) But hope keeps me going. Praise God. We're going to give you an opportunity to come and seek the Lord today. Listen to this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen.
Are you tired of mediocrity? Are you tired of your life just falling apart all the time? Why don't you try manifesting more faith in God? As our praise singers sing, step right out and come down to the front on either side of the pulpit here in front. You can stand or you can kneel. We have altar workers, Christian workers throughout the building. Be glad to pray with you. Come on right now. Hallelujah. He's an answering God. Do you believe he's an answering God? Hallelujah. He's an answering God. We pray in Jesus' name. And by faith the answer came. Hallelujah. He's an answering God. Listen to this. In this classroom over here today, one, two, three, four, five, six people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now listen, listen to these names. This is going to interest some of you. The first one listens, Bryce Grant. Bryce really prayed Friday night for the Holy Ghost. Kenny Shihello. Am I pronouncing that right? Kenny Shihello. Desmond Pollard. Nathan Neeson. Praise God. And uh, Kira Brown. And Dorshia. Frizon? I don't know that. I'm, I, I may be butchering that name up, but at any rate, six people receive the Holy Ghost. You can receive it too. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. All right. Let's sing this again. Step out. Come on and give your heart to God. Hallelujah. He's an answer.